0: Content warning. This episode contains real-life experiences of youth talking about mental health challenges such as eating disorders, suicide, racism, trauma, and sexual violence, which might be disturbing to listeners.
1: I'm Kara Chen. I wrote a poem during the pandemic. It was chosen for Speaking Our Truths, the ISM Youth Files, a project produced by Media Rights in Portland, Oregon. Many youth faced mental health challenges during the COVID-19 pandemic. This was a milestone during crucial years in a youth's life and will be remembered for a long time. MediaWrites created the ISM Youth Files and sent out a request for creative writing to BIPOC youth and youth with disabilities who were disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Youth ages 10 to 21 sent us their writings talking about their experiences as a generation forever changed. Twenty young people around the country and one from India were chosen for the book, Speaking Our Truths, and all were interviewed for this program. I am Kara Chen, 17, attending Lakerish High School in Lake Oswego, Oregon, and I am one of the writers for the ISM Youth Files. I wrote this poem when my family was in social isolation during the pandemic. Ode to this land of fiery hopes and shattered dreams Homesickness Longing for a place you aren't sure exists I'm home, I say to myself In this box of a room with its lilac walls The exact shade I picked out when I was six I'm home amid the tangle of cobwebs Clinging to the fan stubbornly With the strength foreign to me Or maybe not because sometimes I hurt so much, I think I must be both the strongest and the weakest person in the world. I'm home, in a library that smells like old chips and mildewed carpets, amber-crystalled lights slanting in from the windows, and a skylight never cracked open. Those shelves, endless to a child, seem to shuffle closer as I grow. Or maybe it's just my hopeless imagination. I'm home, I say, to a house too empty for my soul, a house that, if given the chance, would swallow me up, teeth and hair and all, until there was nothing of me left for myself. Maybe this is home, I say, my words echoing tinted lilac and suffused with spider silk. Maybe this is home, this place where, if you aren't careful, could become so much of you that you forget how to be anything else. My family moved from Georgia to Oregon in the summer of 2020. In Georgia, we faced daily microaggressions. At the start of COVID, everyone was calling it the Kung Flu because Trump had called it that. It just wore you down. So I wrote a lot. I wrote homesickness because being at home was making me emotionally sick. But in 2021, there was a shooting in Atlanta that targeted mostly Asian American women who worked in spas. I was outraged at the police response to that shooting. To me, it was an example of why we needed to pass hate crime legislation and put restrictions for access to guns. At Lake Ridge High School in my new hometown of Lake Oswego, Oregon, I started running a chapter of Students Demand Action, that's a gun violence prevention organization. For the next year, Students Demand Action advocated for gun restrictions and the passage of hate crime legislation. I still work toward that. Like many youth around the country, we started looking outward during the pandemic, to make a difference. Many youth dealt with frustrations, depression, and trauma through civic engagement, and it also offered youth a chance to connect with community. Episode 2, World on Fire. Here are some of the writers of the ISM Youth Files. I'm Isabella Santana, I'm 18 years old and I live in Torrance, California.
2: I'm Deandre Avant, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts.
3: I'm Latrita Chandra and I'm from India. My name is Janelle Theobald, I am 15 years old and I am an incoming sophomore at the International School of Theberton. Seventeen-year-old
1: Rudely Lee Marillo in New London, Connecticut responded to the pandemic with this poem.
2: The world is literally on fire. This isn't a metaphor, although it could have been. Australia's forest fires were burning just as bright as the hatred we had towards one another. Sparked by the death of George Floyd, a night of cop cars became the latest of many tragedies. I am stuck in my bed, unable to get up but still yearning to. Caught in this in-between of wanting to better myself but being held back by a doubtful mind. Force feeding me thoughts of this cruel reality. Knowing the fact that I'm alone in this room. Knowing I checked up with me in months. I should be failing three different classes. My youth has been robbed me because I'm unable to get up, to get out of this bed. Trapped by these four walls, my desolate room surrounded by dirty clothing landmines. Mom circles back to drop the mind blowing revolution that my room is a mess. But doesn't seem to notice that I am a mess. My life is a mess. The whole world is a mess. So why do you draw the line at my room?
1: Rudley's poem depicts how the pandemic and the uptick on other social issues, such as gun violence, took a major long-term toll on youth mental health. In a recent KFF and CNN survey, forty-seven percent of parents said the pandemic had a negative impact on their child's mental health. Seventeen percent said it had a major negative impact. Rudley described the world he saw as a series of battles.
2: Well, I definitely changed more over COVID. So I, it is still kind of different, you know, especially seeing people, you know, battling, fighting their own battles and their own private battles. And then they're different too. So it's, it's just different really. I just feel like people don't always know how to deal with those problems. I know school tries to help, but it's not always making a difference.
1: Community engagement was a way for youth to change their lives by looking to the outside world. Young people started with their hometowns and cities.
4: Uh, no city is perfect, but Torrance definitely has a very dark history.
1: Something happens in our community, we all come together and talk about it. Isabella Santana became critical of the police when there was a shooting in her city of Torrance, California. In like
4: twenty eighteen, a black man was shot and killed by police, called Christopher DeAndre Mitchell, and to this day, there has been no justice for him. And I think that's a big reflection of Torrance's social views and how they handle the BIPOC community. And it's unfortunate because Torrance, I think, could be a really great and accepting environment, except that it's just a lot of people, and people in power, unfortunately, who do not believe in equality for all the races. And they put these policies that only hurt minority communities. Another example, this is the police force, LA Times actually. I think in roughly March, they released an expose on Torrance PD that revealed racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic, misogynistic, all these really horrible text messages by Torrance PD and basically no
1: action was taken. For teens like Isabella, this fueled a desire to seek equity and to right what she saw as wrong. Those officers received no consequences for their action. And that makes
4: me angry because like I said, I do believe that Torres is a great place, it's a safe city. I would say it's a pretty well-knit community, but there's a lot of things that lurk underneath the cracks that people don't talk about. And I, firmly believe that we need to start talking about it and start changing it, especially with the way our country's going right now. I don't think it's going to get any
1: better for minority communities. Isabella joined other young activists to protest and to let their voices be heard.
4: Our youth is very vocal, very firm with their beliefs. They are the ones I didn't know about any of these things that I mentioned. And I only learned through it. I only learned about it through my friends or through social media. So they're very vocal and they advocate, you know, when the Black Lives Matter movement was happening, they took to the streets, or it still happened, but when it was in like very strong, they took to the streets, they were protesting. A lot of our, a lot of kids that I know are in youth government and trying to make change in Torrance. So I'm, I'm really hopeful for the future of my city. Torrance has always been my home. I've lived here my whole life. However, I need it needs to change. And I'm hopeful that I can be part of that change.
1: Deandre Avant was 20 when he wrote an essay about what it was like to be in Boston, Massachusetts during the Black Lives Matter protests. This was after the murder of George Floyd.
2: I'm having to relearn what love is while being in the position where it seems as if there is no love for me to feel. BLM as a movement progresses because white cops wanted to murder more people. Living in downtown Boston from January to July, I had to walk past military weapons controlled by privileged white men assigned to murder anyone in the vision of Trump. I watched people from the third floor of the building run away in fear from police all over Massachusetts in parts no one has even heard from. The next morning the store windows were broken into, graffiti everywhere, people in stock over the destruction that was supposed to be a peaceful movement. Then I had to get tested the next morning because of my concern I still might get the virus. It was the later half of 2020 when things finally started to get better for my life. This pandemic has given me a lot of time to reflect on past wrongs from high school, and everything within the years I was in high school, thinking of better ways to live the dreams I never lost sight of, but had to pursue a little later than I had planned.
1: DeAndre's plans changed dramatically before the lockdown. He and his mom had a verbal fight when tensions ran high. The fight was starting to escalate when a police officer intervened.
2: It was a brief altercation between me and my mom. I got arrested for an assault and battery charge, but I didn't assault my mother. I had my hands on her because she was hitting me, And I was trying to grab her hands to get them off me and I ended up squeezing her wrist and her thumb. So when the police seen her thumb messed up, that's when they charged with assault and battery. Plus police around here at least, they typically arrest someone when they're given a description of what the person looks like. And if a lady specifically says, this person hit me, regardless of whether they did or not, they typically arrest you and they contain you for six hours after processing.
1: This arrest was a wake-up call for DeAndre. It could have taken a tragic turn for him as a Black and Asian young adult, but the officer helped him find a program at Bridge Over Troubled Water. That nonprofit organization works to transform the lives of at-risk youth. They gave DeAndre shelter, a job, and effective ways to make personal changes. Mental health therapy was also a requirement. This program turned his life around.
2: I would honestly say the way I thought about life and the way I thought about certain movements. You know, it was always important to me that I'm black and that I have to accept, you know, what my people have gone through and that, you know, I pay homage to those who have lost their lives and I become a strong leader. And I was a leader before the pandemic even started. But I took more advantage of where I was from the pandemic up till now. And the pandemic changed me. I mean, I never thought that society could be rocked. And I feel like I took life a little for granted. And I feel like, after seeing what I've seen, that I need to change the person that I was and turn myself around.
1: DeAndre Avant still works at Bridge Over Troubled Water in Boston. When we come back, we'll hear from another side of the world, in India. of the ISM Youth Files, a project about mental wellness. We're listening to sounds of an evening stroll in India. Kolkata is the capital of West Bengal in India. It was founded as an East India Company trading post until India got independence from British rule in 1911. Kolkata now has a population close to 15 million people Media Rights received an essay from one youth, Adrija Jana, who was struggling with life and death in Kolkata. She responded to the pandemic by becoming a community volunteer. In all this time, I could not possibly ignore what was happening in the outside world.
5: With more than 300,000 COVID cases in India per day, no number of helping hands could be too many. So I volunteered as a support person and helped hundreds of patients find hospital beds, oxygen cylinders, blood supply food home delivery, and place newly orphaned children or children with parents hospitalized
1: in temporary child care centers. Adrijajana was 17 when she sent her essay to us about how COVID was affecting her extended family.
5: In the daytime, I managed the household, my studies, and took care of the family. And at night when everyone was asleep, I took night shifts to help the COVID victims. Then in April, my grandmother was recognized with kidney failure and needed even more extensive care and a stricter diet. I handled everything in accord, in addition to the organizations I worked with and working as the student secretary of my school student council. My days often began at 5 a.m. and sometimes ended at 3.30 a.m. Throughout this period, I kept feeling like I would fall into depression. I felt stress, yes, and extremely anxious too. But not for a single moment did I feel like I wanted to do something very trusting. Later, I realised that it was because I did not have the time or even the mindset for it. I knew that I was bottling up a lot in my heart and that I did need to cry. But even if I found two minutes to myself, tears would not flow. I was emotionally dead and working on autopilot. I knew that if something happened to me, I would be taking down the entire family of 10 members, so I persevered. And I harded my core, but then, then I, I we limit an end line to everything. My grandmother passed away in the end of July 2021. That was the last straw. That was the push I needed for everything inside me to come pouring out. And the vehicle came to take her away, I did not let go of my grandma one bit. I became hysterical, screaming and shouting at the top of my lungs. My mothers and sisters, my mother and sisters together, could not pull me away. As soon as the waiting left, I tainted on the street, itself.
1: I could not sleep all night. Adrija says funerals for loved ones are usually 11 days long. But because of the pandemic, it was a small ceremony with close relatives. In January 2022, she caught COVID and survived it. But the pressures for students in India compounded the stress she had already experienced. At 17, this was a crucial time for her to take exams that would determine her future. So in India, we have a system
5: of examination where two times in their life, school students are required to take a nationwide examination, once in grade 10 and once more in grade 12. These are called the both examinations. And during these two years, there is extreme pressure on students because it's like the entire Entire pressure or the entire, of uh, flashlight or the entire spotlight of their school life is on these two years itself, and there is a very great pressure on them to perform well. It's like if you don't perform well in your board exams, your entire school life has gone to waste. Odrija says not everyone survived these tests. Suicides are very common in students during their board years. When I was in grade 10, one of my batchmates, she took her life.
1: She did not take the Drayton board exams with us, but then she was someone we did not know. According to the World Health Organization, suicide is among the top three causes of death worldwide. Youth are at the highest risk in one-third of developed and developing countries. And in India, suicide is a leading cause of death for young people. For girls, it's more than double the rate it is for boys. To our surprise, the
5: same thing happened in grade 12. In the month of April, one of my very, very close friends took her life because she could not handle the stress anymore. And she was somebody I was very, very close to. So it was very, very devastating. And then the cause was board stress and she's an only child. So her parents and family, they are also absolutely devastated. So this is a very common phenomenon. Every year during the board exam, stress rates and suicide rates kind of jump up because of the stress that not everybody can take. Yes, it is a very delicate situation.
1: Despite her family's hardships and the stresses of the exams, Audrey Jujana continues to volunteer and is civically engaged. She wants to be a writer and become a leader in her community. I think our generation is much more aware And even though there are still
5: situations where people are bullying each other or not being empathetic towards each other, but in general, our generation seems to understand more than the previous generations have. It's probably because of the connectivity that we have and access to information that we have which our parents did not. So I think if we can keep developing in this way, if we can inculcate these values in the generations that come after us or from a very young age, from the school level itself, I think the future can be better than the situation is right now. At least then people won't feel pressure to keep everything inside themselves just because of the fear of being called crazy. So I believe if it is a if and but situation, it always is with our generation. If we can keep developing in a good way in the right direction, then yes, we can have a better future.
1: Janelle Theobald is a 16-year-old Chinese-American student and goes to the International School in
3: Beaverton, Oregon. I was born with several physical and mental disabilities, uh, including autism, and because of that, you know, I always kind of struggled to fit in. I experienced depression, but actually, I'm. I think I'm one of the lucky ones because I was helped by a lot of people, therapists and counselors.
1: Janelle wrote her essay about the added challenges for people with disabilities to get mental health resources. This was inspired from a personal experience of feeling marginalized at a young age.
3: So there were uh, signs from when I was young, like I have a language processing delay. So, you know, in preschool, when, my teachers asked me a question they wouldn't be able to get an answer out of me until after they had gone to someone else and then come back to me and i also have like a low muscle tone and a congenital eye disease as janelle looked for therapy resources she learned
1: about two groups of people who were erased from history in portland oregon the lone first cemetery is one of the oldest cemeteries in the city Janelle learned that its Block 14
3: section had a shameful past. She wrote about this in her essay. Two groups of people are sheltered beneath the lot. The first group buried here is over 200 patients at the Oregon Hospital for the Insane, the first mental hospital in the state. Known for his humanity, the owner, Dr. Hawthorne, paid out of his own pocket for hundreds of burials. Not only those with mental illness, but also those whose families were absent, or were living in poverty, physically disabled, or displayed behavior not accepted by society. Sometimes I wonder how many in my training class would be buried there if we had lived back then. The second group is Chinese workers who built much of the infrastructure in our area, often underpaid and in dangerous working conditions, resulting in many deaths. They were buried in block 14 temporarily until their bodies could be shipped back to their home villages in China. Yet for many, especially women and children, Block 14 became their permanent resting place. Over time, the gravestones were destroyed and their stories were forgotten, as if their existence had no importance to the people who used the infrastructure these Chinese gave their lives to build. The city intended to sell the land of Block 14 for development, but multiple groups raised concerns, especially after human remains were discovered in 2005. Janelle Theobald wanted
1: recognition for early Chinese immigrants who came to America as laborers or small business owners. They were buried in graves without markers in a segregated part of the cemetery. She also wanted people with disabilities to be recognized, as well as those with mental illness who were once residents of what was called the Oregon Hospital for the Insane.
3: The city intended to sell the land of Block 14 for development, but multiple groups raised concerns, especially after human remains were discovered in 2005. Although plans were drawn up for a cultural heritage garden that would honor both groups in the 90s, The projects lacked the necessary funding to continue. Then, in 2019, Oregon Metro passed a parks and nature bond that would prioritize projects that promoted diversity. However, for a long time, the garden was not part of the discussion list. So the Lone Fur Cemetery Foundation reached
1: out. During lockdown, Janelle decided to take action by putting a marker in honor of
3: the two groups buried at Lone Fur Cemetery. She started a letter-writing campaign. I was the first one to answer the call. I wrote a sample letter to Metro and sent it to some social groups I'm in. Because of this, 25 other students also wrote their own letters. The letter campaign eventually led to Oregon Metro allocating $4 million to the project. There will always be groups of people that have it worse. But the world is getting better every day, thanks to the people who keep bending the arc of the moral universe towards justice. Although our country has become more and more inclusive, we all understand that there is no such thing as an ideal world. There will always be people who struggle with mental health. There will always be groups of people that have it worse. But the world is getting better every day, thanks to the people who keep bending the arc of the moral universe towards justice. Janelle Theobald also remains vigilant
1: in calling out bias against people with disabilities.
3: Nowadays, people are generally very understanding and accepting of those with physical disabilities, yet many don't realize that mental illnesses are just as disabling as physical disabilities. Around 10 years ago, the city I live in had a committee that served people with disabilities, but it only served those with physical disabilities. Thinking that they had fulfilled all the ADA requirements, they eventually fell apart. This means that, for a long time, we didn't have any committee to serve people with disabilities. Recently, I successfully lobbied my city to create the ADA Technical Advisory Committee, on whose board I now serve. I know I will do my part to help spread awareness and continue to fight for those that are marginalized or left behind. Spreading
1: awareness and continuing the fight. That's what many youth are doing, just as I will continue to advocate for legislation to prevent people convicted of hate crimes to own guns. And I will keep on writing creatively anytime I feel overwhelmed. Writing can free you. I know it helped me and the writers in the ISM Youth Files. A recent paper by the How Kids Learn Foundation laid out the benefits of civic engagement and activism for youth. It helps them make friends and promote self-confidence. It also helps heal trauma, combat depression, and provides a sanctuary. Youth activism can prepare us for leadership roles while serving others and communities. And it fuels passion and purpose. On the next episode, tune in for added challenges when we hear from youth about what challenged them physically and emotionally during and after the pandemic. This is the ISM Youth Files. For more info about this project and the book Speaking Our Truths, visit mediarights.org. I'm Kara Chen.
0: The ISM Youth Files Project received support from Ronnie LaCroote, the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Oregon Arts Commission, the Collins Foundation, Oregon Humanities, Oregon Community Foundation, Western States Arts Federation, the city of portland arts healing grant and individual donors special thanks to our partner oregon children's theater who co-created a mental health toolkit for this project get a free download of the toolkit or more info on the speaking our truths book at mediarights.org m-e-d-i-a-r-i-t-e-s dot Order your copy of the Speaking Our Truths book at Amazon or request it at your library or school. Music for this show was composed and performed by Tomo Singh. Here is music on all platforms. The Is Files project was produced by Demilo Roberts with Amanda Anderson and Samson Siarath. Literary Works Editor was Sandra DeHelen. Our mental health consultant is Dr. Eleanor Heal Kashubabara. Our engineer was Clark Salisbury, who provides additional music. This is a Meteorites production.